Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Now, here's your host, Nate Herbst. Welcome to The God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're tuned in this morning. I hope you enjoyed the past few weeks. I did a few replays, especially last week's show. I got to replay the interview with Ravi Zacharias. It was just a great time getting to talk with him, and I hope you were blessed by the interview with Ravi Zacharias. Well, this week we get an incredible opportunity to work with someone who works a lot with Ravi Zacharias, and I'm talking about Dr. Oss Guinness. You may remember him from The Truth Project. If you've seen The Truth Project, he was a big part of that. He is an incredible intellectual, and he travels around the globe declaring the gospel and and helping people realize the significance of the gospel. He's an apologist, a thinker. He's an incredible man that's done a lot for the kingdom of God, and I am thrilled to be able to have him here on The God Solution today. Well, anyway, Dr. Guinness, again, like I said, is a world-renowned Christian thinker and apologist who is a big part of the Truth Project. From his website, we read, Dr. Guinness completed his undergraduate degree at the University of London and his DPhil in Social Sciences from Oriel College, Oxford. Oss has written or edited more than 30 books, including The Call, Time for Truth, Long Journey Home, Unspeakable, A Free People's Suicide, The Global Public Square, and Renaissance. His latest book is Fool's Talk, The Recovery of Christian Persuasion, and that was published by InterVarsity back in June of 2015. Today we're going to get the opportunity to talk to him a little bit about that most recent book, Fool's Talk, and The Art of Persuasion. We're going to talk to him about how we can be more persuasive as Christians in an increasingly hostile world. Anyway, more from osguinness.com. Before moving to the United States in 1984, Oss was a freelance reporter with the BBC. Since then, he has been a guest scholar at the Woodrow Wilson Center for International Studies, a guest scholar and visiting fellow at the Brookings Institution, and a senior fellow at the Trinity Forum and the East-West Institute in New York. From 1986 to 1999, Oss served as executive director for the Williamsburg Charter Foundation, a bicentennial celebration of the First Amendment. In this position, he helped to draft the Williamsburg Charter and later the Global Charter of Conscience, which was published at the European Union Parliament in 2012. Oss has spoken at dozens of the world's major universities, and he's spoken widely to political and business conferences on many issues, including religious freedom across the world. He is currently a senior fellow at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics in Oxford, though he still lives with his wife, Jenny, in the Washington, D.C. area. Again, we're going to be talking to him today about his book, Fool's Talk, Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion, and about how we can do just that, how we can be more persuasive in our conversations with non-believers. Find out more about Os Guinness at osguinness.com, and that's spelled O-S-G-U-I-N-N-E-S-S.com. Again, find out more about Dr. Guinness at osguinness.com. Welcome to the God Solution Show, Dr. Guinness. Great delight to be with you. Thank you. Well, before we get into all the other questions, I wanted to ask you how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
Well, my parents are missionaries, and I come from a long and strong Christian heritage from the Guinness family. But my parents were under house arrest in China under the communists, and I was back in England at a boarding school. So I didn't have their immediate influence. So obviously their love and prayer was behind me, but not their immediate influence all through my teenage years. I actually came to Christ when I was 18. After a two-year search, I was reading on the one hand great atheists like Nietzsche, Jean-Paul Sartre, and Camus, and on the other hand, Christians like Pascal, Dostoevsky, G.K. Chesterton, and of course, C.S. Lewis. And I was finally convinced the Christian faith was true. And it was through that search in a Christian friend that I came to Christ. Wonderful. Uh, how did you develop an interest in Christian apologetics? I mean, you named a few famous Christian apologists, but how did that interest take root in your life? Well, I went to London University when the 1960s began to explode, and very few evangelicals had any understanding of the broader culture. We had wonderful teachers like Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Stott, but even John Stott would admit later he didn't really apply deep theology, which he had, to the culture. And some of us were really frustrated, and it was immensely liberating when I came across a then largely unknown man called Francis Schaeffer. And he connected all the dots and encouraged people to think freely about anything and everything from a Christian perspective. And that's what liberated me. And, of course, he was the, a wonderful apologist. I would say the best one-to-one apologist I've ever seen. So I, I learned my basics under Francis Schaeffer. It's a shame that he's not around anymore, but he was great. So, Indeed. what do you think is going on in our society right now? A lot of things have happened over the past year and definitely over the past decade, and a lot of Christians are really wondering what's going on. What do you think is going on right now, and why do you think things are this way? Well, we're increasingly in, in a post-Christian society. I've called this the ABC moment, when people say anything but Christianity. And it's a sign of a culture in decline, but it turns against the old faith, as it were, the faith that made it what it was when it was great. And so people are turning against the Christian faith now and going after any weird, wild, and wonderful thing that's different. Now, we can look at the individual trends, and as people who watch the culture and follow just speaking into, we have to. So I think many of the radical trends actually go back to the 1960s and the rise of postmodernism. You, know, you take the simple ideas there. God is dead. Truth is relative. Knowledge is power. And that underlies a whole number of things, including currently the sexual revolution. Now, the current form of postmodernism is what's called constructionism. In other words, there are no givens, no rules, and no limits. And that's extremely radical. You see currently played out with the transgender issue, but it goes into many, many areas wider than that. So we're seeing some very radical trends flowing through America, uh, which, if left unchecked, will mean the end of the greatness of the American Republic. And they're not satisfying people. I do college ministry. I'm with college students every day of the week, and I see the consequences of the lies that our society is perpetuating. I get to talk to the students who bought it hook, line, and sinker, and their lives are destroyed as a result. I just wish that everybody could see the consequences of the ideas that our society is embracing. It's sad, truly. We're only beginning to see, as I often say, the harvest of 
psychological confusion and social chaos that is coming is unimaginable. So we're, we're sowing the wind, and we will certainly reap the whirlwind. It's true, unfortunately. So a lot of Christians right now feel out of place. In fact, just with this Target transgender restroom issue, I saw people on every end of that spectrum, you know, spouting everything you could imagine on Facebook. And Christians, I think, have kind of lost their way, and they're confused about how to respond to what's going on in society. What would you suggest as far as how we should respond? Well, we've always got to listen to people, discover why they are where they are, love them genuinely and show true respect. We, we've got to do that, not just attacking ideas. But always with ideas, if they're really skeptical, take, say, the approach of Elijah to the prophets of Baal, or Peter Berger talking about relativists today. Berger says you've got to relativize the relativizers. Mm. In other words, they're believing things which aren't fully true, and if you press them to be consistent, if Baal is God, Follow Baal, Elijah says. That's incredibly daring. But he can do that knowing the Lord is God, not Baal. So if people try to be true to Baal when he isn't God, they'll hit their heads against the wall. And Berger says the same thing is true of modern skeptics and and relativists. They're not skeptical and relativist enough. They're skeptical about us, but not about their own beliefs. And you've got to press them out to be true to what they believe, because we know it isn't finally true. And then they will see it. And that was one of Francis Schaeffer's great approaches. You know, Augustine says, see where an idea leads to. C.S. Lewis says, follow it out to the absolute ruddy end. A very English way of putting it. I just saw a video by the Family Policy Institute of Washington called College Kids Say the Darndest Things on Identity. And it was quite the amazing video, but they they did just that. They talked to students about these identity issues in society. And then kind of took it the next step, and this Caucasian man that's about five foot eight or something like that and asked I saw, if I saw it too. Did you see it too? <laughs> it was comic and and sad at the same time. But I think he did just that. He relativized exactly. the relativists. He said, "Could I be an Asian woman that's six foot seven? You know, things like that. And of and course, humor too. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was funny. It was uh, not in your face or whatever, but it was a great video." Well, anyway, you recently wrote Fool's Talk, Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion. And that kind of addresses a lot of these issues and how we can be responding to the society. What prompted that book? Well, the simple fact is that, as you say, we're now in a post-Christian culture. There are fewer and fewer people who understand the Christian language and the gospel. Or put it differently, there are more and more people who are not open. When people are open... You can't be too simple and too brief and straightforward in sharing the gospel, the good news, the best news ever. But as soon as you discover people who are not open, whether they're indifferent or hostile or whatever it is, happy-go-lucky surfer or whatever, or a Marxist who's really angry or whatever, then you've got to go a different way to persuade and just to give them the straightforward gospel at that stage. It's like water of a duck's back. So... Much of the church lacks persuasion. As one of the leaders of the um, MTV said to me, you're good at preaching, protesting, picketing. And he went through a whole number of the P's. He said, but you're missing the key P, which is persuasion. Hmm. 
So let's talk about persuasion. We read in Acts 18.4 and 28.23 that Paul was committed to persuading Jews and Gentiles to follow Christ. He also told the Corinthian church that this was vital to Christian ministry in 2 Corinthians 5.11. And there are other similar passages that talk about him reasoning with these people and trying to convince them that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Unfortunately, many Christians have rejected that. I've heard people saying things like, if someone can be talked into faith, they can be talked out of it. So what is persuasion, and why is it important? Well, persuasion is simply communication to people whom we want to see the point we're making who currently don't see it. Now, of course, they, it, they don't, they're not one to Christ by our logic alone. That's ridiculous. They're born again through the power of the Holy Spirit and through their own commitment of faith, which is the final step of persuasion. In other words, persuasion is the least manipulative approach there is, because a lot of evangelists, remember evangelism 20 years ago, where you weren't allowed to allow people to ask questions. Questions were smoke screens for moral objections. And so they sort of drove you towards what a salesperson would call the deal, we call decision, they drove you towards manipulatively. But with persuasion, you see in the scriptures, the use of questions, the use of parables, nobody sees what they don't see for themselves. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit is the supreme apologist, the supreme prosecutor. We're just merely the junior counsels for the defense. So nobody believes because of our fancy arguments or whatever. They believe because they've got into it for themselves and they've made their own decisions and, of course, that final decision of commitment is when they experience the power of the Holy Spirit and meet God for themselves. So the skepticism about persuasion is utterly wrong and very unbiblical. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. We're talking with Os Guinness. I hope you enjoy the rest of the interview. I like R.C. Sproul's approach here. He says that there are three stages to faith and he says first someone has to be made aware of the information and we as christians can make people aware of information he said second someone has to become convinced of the information and we can do that too we can share data and facts and apologetics we can talk about science and history and philosophy and all this so we can be a part of uh, making them aware of the information and helping them become convinced of the information but he said the third and final stage is when the person buys into the information they actually own it and he said, of course, that's something only the Holy Spirit can do in their heart. And I think that as we step out in faith, persuading people, making them aware of information and helping them become convinced of the information, we really work together with the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we're all called to do in ministry. Uh, I'm thankful that you've written this book to equip Christians to do just that. Ah, oh, she's exactly right, that third stage. But I, I don't like the idea that this is information. Yeah, it's more you know, the gospel is much more powerful than information, and it's, it's an engagement with another person's life. We've got to love mm -hmm. them, listen to them, and we're engaging with a person, mm -hmm. and we're really challenging with, them with truth. It's far more than a matter of information. I don't like that approach, and R.C. doesn't actually do all that much real apologetics out there in the pagan world. But his third point is exactly right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what would you say to those who've abandoned the art and ministry of persuasion? Well, I'd just say they cut down the people they can really share the gospel with. In mm -hmm. other words, you don't need the persuasion that I'm talking about, or 
you see in the book of Acts, when someone's open. You know, I argue the most open person in Scripture is the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts. What must I do to be saved? How many people have had people approach them like that on the streets of their town in the last month? Hardly anyone. That man was incredibly open. When now in Nanking, Nanjing as it is today, fell under the communists, my parents were there, and people did come up to them and say that. That's most unusual. But if we can't persuade, then take, say, the new atheists or thousands of other people today, we're just unable to talk to them. I've been doing evangelism on the college campus here pretty much every day this year. And uh, over the course of the entire year, I think two people made decisions to trust Christ the first time I encountered them. It's kind of rare. Uh, On the flip side of the coin, (laughs) many of those people, we ended up having long-term relationships where we talk about Christ over time. Some are atheists. uh, Some come from Muslim backgrounds, other backgrounds. But it's very true (laughs) We share the gospel, and we find that a lot of people need continuing uh, relational interaction afterwards where we attempt to persuade them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So how can we win hearts in evangelism and apologetics as opposed to just winning arguments? Well, we're out to win people. That's the whole point, and you're saying rightly, not just arguments. Too much apologetics has been connected just with arguments rather than winning people. And that's the trouble of some of the big debaters. They win the arguments and lose the audience. Mm. We've got to win people. And I've got a debate, in quotes, on Sunday night with an atheist in Ottawa. And certainly I'll be out to befriend him and take him deeply seriously as a person and not just win the argument like a great white boxing hope, as it were, knocking out all comers. You know, we've got to get an apologetics that goes back to Scripture. And I like your idea. Some people, well, put it like this. Winning a person is like seeing them move from zero to 100. Hmm. And we might meet them at 6 or 36. All we're responsible to do is to find out where they are on their journey and move them along as the time allows us to. Now, some people, in five minutes, you can get them there. Mm-hmm. You remove a log jam, and they shoot the whole way. Mm-hmm. With other people, it might take my father-in-law 25 years, my wife and I prayed wow. and talked and loved until he finally came to Christ. You wow. know, we've got to do whatever it takes, recognizing where people are on their spiritual journey. You know, the last chapter of the book is about, you know, you walk a golf course to know it well. In the same way, we need to know the phases through which thinking people go as they think along. And all they're responsible is to find out where they are and see that they move as far as they can in the time that we're with them. And that may be a long time. This debate with Chris Carlo coming up on May 1st is something that I'd like to ask you as audience members to be praying for. Pray that Dr. Guinness would do well as he presents the gospel and evidence for the gospel, but also pray that he would be able to befriend his debate partner and that Krista Carlo would even come to know Christ. So what roles does technique play when we're talking about befriending people and persuading people? Well, you can see from the book, I'm against technique, because we're in the age of technique. People just run things through too easily, and they rely on recipes and formulae and techniques and so on. And I say we've got to think people, listening to Mm. people, loving people, 
Jesus never talked to two people the same way. Wow. And nor should we. And so I think, particularly here in America, it's time to abandon most of the techniques which are not as biblical as they should be. Mm. That's really good perspective. Okay, so now here's here's a good a good perspective, I think. What about humor? We talked about this video that was humorous and illustrated kind of some of these identity issues and a little bit of the fallacy in some of the identity that our society is buying into. What role does humor play in these conversations? Well, if, if you're a naturally funny, like, say, Malcolm Muggeridge was or G.K. Chesterton, this humor is terrific because humor is very disarming and very subversive. But we, uh, people who aren't funny, it'd be crazy to try and, and be <laughs> funny. Mm-hmm. You know, of all the things that are, are ways of approaching people persuasively, the one that we can almost all share that is not that difficult is shifting from statements to questions. Mm-hmm. Questions are much more subversive. Now, we're not all funny, so we can't all use humor. We're not all great at storytelling, like, say, C.S. Lewis was or our Lord was with the parables. So some are better storytelling and parables than others. But the one thing most of us are pretty good at is the ability to ask questions. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in learning how to ask better questions, I would encourage you that are listening right now to pick up Tactics. Uh, It's a great book, and it helps you approach conversations with questions. Uh, All right, so what about unbelief, and how can we address it better? Well, in the book, I, following Francis Schaeffer, go to start with a biblical theology of unbelief. What, What is it? And Schaeffer was very strong in many passages, but especially Romans 1.18. Hmm. Unbelief, the anatomy of it, is the truth held in unrighteousness. Truth repressed, truth stifled, truth held hostage. So you think of a hijacking. Put a pistol to the head of a pilot, you can fly it to a destination he didn't intend to go. And that's what unbelief is. In other words, people are made in the image of God. They're living in the universe God created around them. But they, as it were, put a pistol to the head of truth and they fly it in their own direction whether Buddhism or atheism or whatever it is. And that means we can always work one of two ways. We can fasten on the unbelief, the error, the falseness, or we can fasten on the fact that everybody, without exception, has the truth down there somewhere. And you have to figure out which of the two ways you want to approach it. I've got chapters in each of them. So again, if you're listening today, I would encourage you, to pick up Dr. Guinness's most recent book. It is your most recent book, correct? Uh, yes. I've got another one coming out in June. Awesome. So not the most recent for long. But definitely pick up Fool's Talk, Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion, when you get a chance. So anyway, what encouragement do you have for Christians listening today? Some are disheartened. Some are disillusioned. They're looking at society going, who knows what's going on? What's my role here? I've talked to Christians that feel out of place. I get to work with college students and so i encourage them that the the harvest is just getting riper all these societal lies are creating a context where people are probably more open than ever to hear the truth that's in jesus but we need to learn how to engage them so talk to that audience talk to the christians today that are confused that are well Nate, you, can put, you can put it a whole number of ways I mean, on, on the one hand Look at the worst of the corruptions in the church, which is really the most depressing thing when our fellow Christians let us down. And the answer to that is the darkest hours are always just before the dawn. Five Amen. minutes before revival breaks out, 
the landscape is bleak. Mm. Five minutes after the Lord speaks and acts, everything's changed. Now, we're, we're living in a time before, so things look discouraging. second way of putting it is, this is a great age of clarification. Mm. In Europe, we went through that in the 60s. The dead wood fell away. Those who stayed knew what they believed, and they came out confidently, and so on. And mm. you can see this, you know, the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Well, the mm. new nuns are really the old nominals mm-hmm. who now no longer find it fashionable to be Christians that are dropping out. Well, they're the dead wood. Yeah. So those who are left, who know the Lord, know what they believe, why they believe, this is going to be a great time, and we need to go through this period of clarification. The third more encouraging thing directly to respond to what you're saying is the further the culture goes, the crazier its solutions and the more the gospel shines by contrast. So one of the little maxims I have in the book, contrast is the mother of clarity. Mm. And you can see the overreach of the paganism, say of the uh, transgenders and so on. At every point of overreach, which are increasing every day almost, the gospel shines greater and greater by contrast. So don't be discouraged. You know, the biblical refrain, have no fear. It's heaven that rules. God is sovereign. Things can be turned around. Amen. Great advice. So I know people can find out a lot about you at osguinness.com. Are there any other sites or resources that you'd direct them to to find out more about you and your ministry? No, I don't, I don't really direct anyone to myself. All right. But I'm sure there's a lot out there if they're really interested. So definitely, I would encourage them to go to osguinness, O-S-G-U-I-N-N-E-S-S dot com. Any last words you'd like to share? No, it's just a privilege to be with you. Have no fear. Have faith in God. He's greater than all, and he can be trusted in all situations. So this is a great moment. Amen. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Dr. Guinness. My privilege, Nate. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed everything that Dr. Guinness had to say. Again, find out more about Dr. Guinness at osguinness.com. And definitely pick up his book, Fool's Talk, Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion, wherever you buy books. This will help you be more persuasive in your conversations with non-believing friends. I hope you enjoyed everything he had to say today, and I hope even more that you'll put it into practice. If you are not yet a believer... I would ask you not to go another day without making the decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible says that God loves you dearly, that he created you to be in relationship with him. The Bible also says that you and I are sinners and that our sin separates us from a perfect and just God. Apart from God's grace, we have no possibility of salvation. We're hopelessly doomed to an eternity apart from him in what the Bible calls hell. Fortunately for us, the Bible says God became a man and that he lived a perfect life that we could never live and he died on the cross, the death that we deserved and the separation from God that we deserved. And he did that so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him could be eternally saved, adopted into his family. I hope that if you haven't done that yet, that you do that today. You could do that right now choosing to put your faith in him and verbalizing that through prayer. Prayer isn't a magic trick. It's just talking to God. But you could verbalize your faith today, saying something like, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. I ask you to come into my life, to be my Savior, to be my Lord, to forgive me and to make me the kind of person that you want me to be.
The Bible says that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can look forward to an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and abundance here on this planet. If you already do know Jesus, I hope that you'll take what you learned today and put it into practice. Get Dr. Guinness's book, Fool's Talk, and learn how to be more persuasive with your non-Christian friends. We are living in a very dark time, and at the same time, this is the most important time for light to shine brightly. So equip yourself to shine brightly for God. Learn how to be more persuasive with your non-Christian friends, co-workers, relatives, and even those that you encounter on a day-to-day basis. I hope that you'll become a more persuasive Christian, reaching out to those that God puts in your path. I'm so glad that you listened to the God Solution Show. I encourage you to keep telling your friends about the show and to go to godsolutionshow.com. Again, godsolutionshow.com. Check out past interviews. Maybe leave comments about what you think or what you'd like us to address on the show. And even check out the list of local churches that you could visit. While you're there, I would also ask you to consider making a donation to help spread the ministry of the show and to keep this show on the air. I'm so thankful that you listen each week. We're going to be having some incredible interviews coming up. Dr. Michael Behe and others are going to be coming on. It'll be fascinating for sure. Anyway, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution with Nate Herbst. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.